This morning, uh, brothers and sisters, our text is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. These verses contain a wonder. They are the verses that tell us of a woman who was wondrously saved, incredibly converted by the electing grace and power of Jesus. There's another participant in the story besides her and the Lord. There is a man by the name of Simon, a Pharisee, who resided in Galilee, and he invites Jesus to his home, and this woman unexpectedly arrives. Let's have a look at the text. You're going to find it in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. If it, you're looking at your chair Bible, it's either 947 or 864, but we also have it right here in the bulletin if you want to read along there. Here's what the text says. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering Simon said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Father, help us. We need you every hour. But we particularly need you when we come to the Word. It's your Word. And if it's not accompanied by the Holy Spirit, then we are batting the air. We, we would invite the Holy Spirit, who's already been present among us in baptism and song and prayer and fellowship one with another, to be with us now as we look into your holy word. Jesus told us that his word was the truth. And if it's the truth, we want to know what you have to say. Help us, Father, by so looking at the scriptures this morning that we fall in love with your Son all over again. We would thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, verse 36 reads this way once again. One of the Pharisees asked him, 
to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, the first question you really have to ask, brothers and sisters, is what is a Pharisee doing <laughs> inviting Jesus to dinner? Uh, the Pharisees despised the Lord. They hated him. And the reason they did so was he was a uh, usurper of their power authority. These guys held the keys. They were uh, the, held the keys economically, financially, politically, religiously, in every single way. They knew how to keep the lid on the people. They particularly were aggressive in the area of the Sabbath day rules because by so doing they could lock down the people, much like you and I have experienced in the last couple of years. Authoritarians love lockdowns, and these guys were good at it. Now, when, they, uh, when Jesus came along, he, he didn't abide by their rules. He ignored the Sabbath rules. Instead, he healed on the Sabbath. It drove them crazy. By what authority are you doing this? So to be honest with you, brothers and sisters, I don't think this was a genuine invitation. This was an inquisition. The Savior was being put on trial. Perhaps the big boys, the blue bloods down in Jerusalem said, Simon, check this guy out. See if you can find something against him. The fact that the Savior accepted this invitation tells us that he came not just for you and me, but for self-righteous Pharisees. Why he submitted? Well, it proves that he's the Son of God and you and I are not, because we would have never submitted to that request. He was going to be put on mock trial, and so he goes anyway to this home. And it tells us in verse 36 that when he got there, he reclined at table. If you were here a few weeks ago, you'll remember Pastor Justin speaking about the Lord's Supper in John 13. You remember how Justin talked about something called the triclinium table where the men were gathered. It wasn't the Leonardo da Vinci painting, but it was, and, and so I went home to check this out because I'd never heard of it, and um, I discovered that a triclinium table is not triangular, which is what I assumed, but it's actually, it's actually U-shaped. In fact, Sean, Aiden, you got it? There it is. Now, this is an artist's description of the possible Lord's Supper and, uh, that Justin was mentioning. And uh, you have Jesus at the head. Of, he's dressed in white, of course. If the artist is going to render, then all the other guys... Well, John also is in white. So I think this is maybe quite close to the reality of what the Lord's Supper actually looked like. You'll see that uh, Jesus is there. John, you can see how he could rest against the Savior's bosom after Jesus has said... Someone is going to betray me. And Peter, don't know which one of the guys there is Peter, but it uh, doesn't matter. But at this U-shaped table, they, these are couches. The table is set there. You have an opening at the end for servants to replace food and water and glasses of water, such things. But you can see how John could just kind of lean back against the Savior's bosom, as the Scriptures tell us. Uh, he could actually cover his, uh, his mouth. Nobody could see what he was up to. Lord, who is it? And uh, Jesus says, it's the one that I dip my morsel of bread into the stewed fruit and hand it to him. And when that takes place, Peter is riveted on John, and John just gives a nod, and we now know who the betrayer is. And, and this um, particular picture, I think, is helpful, brothers and sisters, because you can see how it's essential back in those days to have your feet as far away from the table as possible. And uh, you can see how a woman could come into such a setting kneel at the Savior's feet. His feet are already elevated. She did not have to crawl under the table to get to the Savior, but there it is. So, um, yeah, and if any of you are considering having Lynn and I over for dinner any time in the future, well, then uh, this is the way it's got to be, right? I mean, just like, 
Anyway, all right, guys, thanks for that. Verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, how did this woman get into this home? You can hardly imagine the audacity of this woman just entering this Pharisee's home, particularly because she was a defiled woman. She was, in fact, a prostitute, a sinful woman. She would not have been invited, and she was not supposed to be there. But in actual fact, in Middle Eastern culture and in Asian culture, people can come into such settings. They can stand around. Sometimes the poor stand around waiting for scraps of food afterwards. When I was in India several decades ago now, I asked our host, because we were in a room about the size of room 100, who are these people milling about? And he said, they are waiting when we're done having breakfast, if there's any food left over. And they said, some of them are just curious. They want to know what's going on in this village in uh, central eastern India. I said, all right, well, that works for me, but what, 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 what is that? You know, is it all about? I mean, you can imagine in a Western culture, your neighbor's coming over after you've invited folks over. I mean, it's the strangest thing. You know, just they're leaning against the wall, don't mind us. Just, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're just, just part of the furniture. Um, <laughs> but there she was going in. And people would be milling about. Simon, a rich man, probably had a courtyard. And the, this woman, I think she had a plan that was not where she would actually go into the home. When we get to heaven, and in the new heavens and the earth, we're going to need to ask her, because she's a dear sister in the Lord, wonderfully converted. And I, I think that her plan likely was that, that she, was, she had heard that Jesus was coming to his home. Perhaps he had been a guest speaker, as was his wont to do at the local synagogue. Maybe it was the Sabbath. Could have been an evening meal. We don't know. But nonetheless, uh, she was waiting for Jesus. She knew that he was coming to the home. And I think what we have here is a woman who had a plan. That when Jesus came and Simon met him at the door and poured olive oil on his head, flowing down the beard, even onto Aaron's beard, on, on the robe of Aaron's garment. Remember that in Psalm 133. Uh, then Simon would kiss the Savior on both cheeks. There would be a servant boy and Jesus would put his feet in a basin and one foot at a time would be washed and, and then uh, uh, dried and, and then uh, his feet would go onto a mat and then into the home he would go. But when that customary courtesy was not offered to our Savior, I mean, this is a repudiation. Uh, Simon's in with his mates inside the house. Maybe a servant boy said, well, just go on in. Or one of the fellows went out there and said, you can, just, you can just go in. Can you imagine, after the, walking on the dusty, stinky road, just, just, just go on. I mean, it is... It's an in-your-face rebuff of the king of glory. But when she saw that that didn't occur, because I think what her plan was was to, to get to that doormat once he had the clean feet. She was going to take that alabaster vial of expensive spikenard perfume from India, and she was going to break the, the neck of that, that alabaster vial, and she was going to pour it all over the Savior at his feet and worship the Lord and praise him, and her 10-second act of worship would be consummated. She'd be gone. But I don't think, brothers and sisters, friends, that that's actually, when she saw that Jesus was not afforded these common courtesies, she had a decision to make. What do you do now? 
I mean, what do you do now? The Lord demanded that she go into a home where she was not welcome, to deepen faith. How much do you love me? And it tells us at the beginning here that she came to table when she found out, but you know, down in verse 45, Jesus says, uh, from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. She followed the Savior in. She didn't hesitate. She had to worship her Savior. Didn't matter. Worship was top priority. I'm wondering, brother, sister, friend, did, did your car just get you here because this is Sunday morning mass? Did your wife drag you here? Or did you come to worship your Jesus? This woman had to worship and show gratitude or die. And uh, you got to wonder what kind of a life she had lived. What was it like to be a prostitute? Well, we know that almost certainly she didn't choose this as her vocation. It was either pushed on her by someone else or perhaps her husband died in war or early. Maybe she was never married. Whatever the circumstance was, it, it almost certainly was that she had to sell her body in order to keep body and soul together. Humiliating, disgusting task, strange men. What a life. I mean, you can imagine she's on the street corner. Her hair is down in that era, clearly indicating that she's a prostitute. Some man comes in from, the city, from some other city, walks into town, spots her. They end up discussing for a moment, and she drags him off to her home. The man is cheating. He's a lecher. Perhaps he's drunk. They engage in their sordid few moments of time together. Yeah. The man gets dressed. So does she. They have engaged in joyless, meaningless, valueless sex. Just a mere biological function of two people that don't even know each other's names. What a life. Wasted youth. Wasted beauty. A wasted life. But then one day, she hears from people in the marketplace that someone has come to their area of Galilee and he's preaching with power and that Jesus is also driving out demons. And she goes out there to see for herself what this is all about and joins the masses, joins the crowds. Maybe she went with a few of her fellow prostitute friends. But when she gets out there, she's utterly amazed because the Savior is in fact driving out demons. He's raising paralytics off their mat. He's blind eyes are now seeing. Deaf ears are now hearing. Exorcisms are taking place and evil ones are coming out of people with a shriek. The masses are being fed. But even more, brothers and sisters, this man is speaking words of immense power that absolutely floors her. For she hears Jesus saying things like, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And she says, that's for somebody else, not for me. 
And he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And she says, I know that this is not for me. It's for somebody else. But then she hears him say, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And she says, now you're talking. I qualify. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And she says, I am lost. Lord, would you have mercy on me? And then she hears him say, I have not come. (laughs) I have come for the tax collectors and prostitutes, for they believed the message that John the Baptist brought. But you, your Pharisees, have rejected him and refused to believe in him. Yes, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering heaven ahead of you. And she said, he's talking directly about me. Are you saying that heaven could be afforded to me? That I qualify? And that's when Jesus, she hears him say something like, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And this dear woman says, I'm coming, Lord. I'm on my way. And now she is standing over the feet of the Son of God. And when she sees the scornful looks of the people in that room, and Simon gesturing for her to leave, and they furled brows and the repudiation and the murmuring to get out. And then when she looks under the eyes of the Savior, affirming her, loving her, embracing her, bidding her to go deeper into the love of Christ, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's all just too much. And she simply breaks down sobbing. And seeing her tears fall upon the feet of Jesus, she simply kneels down and unfurls that hair and dries his feet with it as an act of worship. That hair that had been used to lure men into her home now used to wipe the Savior's feet. Her hands that used to grab the shoulders and backs of strange men with body odor and bad breaths, reeking lectures, cheats, now grasping the feet of the holy, holy, holy Son of God. And her tears that fell so often at the loneliness of life, the meaninglessness of life, the pain, the suicidal thoughts. Why not just end it? Now weeping, tears of a soul set free at liberty. And then, the, and then the vial of, of perfume, breaking it and pouring it over the Savior's feet and worshiping him, a, a fragrant aroma that reaches all the way, brothers and sisters, to heaven itself, so that the angels are singing and glorifying at the one who brings sinners home, so that all of heaven 
is erupting in praise at him who dies for sinners such as this poor, hopeless woman and the plan of God in his electing grace and salvation. Amazing. You know, it reminds me of the text that was read for us this morning from Romans 12. In view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. It's the right thing to do. To no longer live for yourself. Do not be conformed, Romans 12 2 says, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This mind, this, the mind of this woman was renewed. It was changed. It was transformed. And that, that changes everything. So that now her body is being used for holy purposes rather than unholy. Present your bodies. The Lord is concerned about that. He wants each one of us to do whatever we can to be making progress in offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to live in these bodies forever. These bodies that go ouch when you pinch. The Lord is going to resurrect your cremated body, your, your body that's been dropped into the grave. He's going to take the molecule, the same God that knew you when you were an Adam, just Adam size, just a sperm and an egg in your mother's womb, that same God will have no trouble finding the minutia of your body. And he will resurrect it and imbue it with new life. And you'll live forever in a multidimensional form, in a body that is equipped to last forever. And that will be in this body. Paul tells us, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I tell you, there's none of us in this sanctuary, in Room 100, on a live stream, there's none of us who are not ashamed when we think about how we have failed the Lord in this area. Right now, you can already, in just a matter of a few seconds, come up with what has shamed you in the past. It's that much in the front of your mind. It is for me. And oh, how we wish we could do it over the regrets. And I think of those that today in our sanctuary are maybe struggling with private sins in the misuse of the body, whether it's pornography, whether it's same-sex addiction, whether it's, whether it's abortion that took place in the past. Most of our sins of the body are private matters, and it's better they remain that way, not a trumpet blast. But when I think of the importance of accountability, where uh, James 5.16 says, uh, uh, confess your sins to one another um, and pray for one another that you might be healed. The importance of maybe having someone that you can privately say, would you hold me accountable? I think of the fact, I can hardly believe the statistic that a third to maybe 40% of all women of childbearing age in this country have had an abortion. You can hardly believe it. And if that has been an occurrence in your past, dear sister, would you maybe consider not speaking, the trumpet blasting that, but would you consider, because you almost certainly have kept it private, Consider maybe speaking to another woman about it. 
confessing it. No, you say, Pastor, I've asked the Lord for forgiveness. You don't have to worry about that. I've asked him many times. But how do you know? You know, we have a number of elderly women in the church that are godly. We have a number of them. If you're new to this church, you'll figure out who they are soon enough. Would you consider maybe speaking to one of them? Confessing it, having someone pray with you. I promise you they'll keep, they'll keep your secret right to their own grave. You know, this woman in our story, by the way, God bless you sisters, you consider that. The woman in our story was not a private sinner like most of us are when it comes to this area. She was very public. And so the Lord would not allow her to do some slapdash worship experience at the door. He made her go all the way in and deepen her faith and, 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 and speak very clearly that the world was behind her, the cross was before her, and that there was no turning back. Make a public confession, as we saw with the baptisms today. Don't keep your confession secret. This requires the whole church. This requires the world to know. You're not going back to that life. You've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. Christ has saved you. He's elected you to his own kingdom and family. And you need to shout it from the rooftops. Well, you know, none of this sits very well with our friend Simon. In verse 39, he's taking a look at all of this and he's repulsed. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Can you imagine all of creation, the entire angel choir, the cherubim and seraphim are all intensely involved in what's taking place in Simon's home, and Simon misses it completely completely unperceiving, blind eyes, deaf ears, doesn't see a thing except the natural world. And this pagan could say, this guy's no, no prophet, because that's why he was on trial, was to figure out if this man was perhaps the Messiah or the prophet, and he already had a predisposed notion that Jesus was a fraud, but now he knows it for sure. <laughs> if he knew who this woman was, who is touching him, <laughs> guarantee you he wouldn't let this woman touch him. This guy, he, she's defiled my home, now she's defiled my, this guest, this charlatan. Wait till the big boys down in Jerusalem get a load of this. They're going to be patting me on the back. Good going, Simon. You've given us the evidence we need. We'll take it from here. Simon, I have something I want to say to you. <laughs> uh oh <laughs> watch out Simon things are going south in a hurry and Jesus gives us his parable and what a parable it is it's only two verses long but it ranks right up there as far as I'm concerned with some of the great parables that Jesus gave any of the 35 or 40 or so that he gave here's the parable that Jesus gives to Simon a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That would be, a denarii was a day's wage, so what's that, year and a half? And the other 50, nearly two months of wages. 
When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon knows he's been had, and he knows where this is going. But he has to answer, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. You're right, 100%. And that's when Jesus unloads. And in fact, when he unloads, it's not in anger. It is a rebuke. But it's the only way you can deal with such a hard heart is to deal. It's the loving thing to do. Jesus is all love, and when he speaks in rebuke, it's a loving rebuke. He's doing Simon a favor for exposing his fraudulent viewpoint, his error, and how lost his soul is. And that's when Jesus essentially turns his back on Simon. He said, do you see this woman? Take a look at her. And with those hypocritical, self-righteous eyes, he can barely make her out. But he's trying. Do you see her? I entered your house You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her hair, with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I entered, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Wow. You know, this story scares me. It scares me because I've been walking with the Lord for more than 60 years. But I'm certain of one thing. This woman loves my Savior more than I do. And that's a frightening thought. She's only been a believer for a few hours, a few days, maybe a few weeks. But when she came to worship, she could not be stopped and she would not allow the repudiation of the people in that that room, in that home to stop her. She was going to worship her Savior through thick and through thin. And I'm telling you, I don't think my love is that deep. I'm proud. I'm I'm worried about what people might, might think of me. Let me ask my brothers in this room and in 100 and on live stream, let let me ask you, men, can we replace you in this story? I mean, this is a sweet, wonderful happy, beautiful story. But can we remove the woman and and insert you kneeling at the feet of Jesus? Are you good with that, bro? You know, tell me, tough guy, can can we put you on video and put you kneeling at the feet of Jesus, sweeping and pouring cologne on his feet? Could Can we put that on social media? Are you good with that? Can we take some photos of you and show them to your co-laborers tomorrow at work? 
I mean, here we are in the Bible Belt, and we're struggling with whether we should say grace at our restaurant meal. You know, we don't want to appear fanatical. You never know who's next to you. That scares me, that this woman's love is deeper than mine for my Savior who died for me. I love the Lord. I love God's people. I love all of you. But I don't think it reaches here. I'm hoping that before the Lord calls me home, I can start getting a whole lot closer to this, where I worship my Savior unashamedly. doesn't matter who's looking. doesn't matter what the repudiation of the persecution might be. I'm going to worship my God through thick and through thin. Lord, help me to get to where this woman is in the very outset of her spiritual life. There's something else that scares me, and that is that I don't think Simon is all that bad a guy. Um, I think I could hang out with this guy. I mean, he's humorless. He's legalistic. <laughs> he's dry as toast. I mean, I can spend a few minutes with him in the foyer. What scares me, I mean, if, if they couldn't figure out it was Judas, what makes me think I'm going to figure, I think he could fit into Faith Bible. Any church in America, any church in the world, this guy could slip in unawares. We'd never know his spiritual condition. He says the right things. He looks the part. Um, what scares me is that I think I could hang out with him maybe more than my sister in the Lord. That scares me. Something else that scares me is I think that if I was offered the opportunity to invite Jesus to my home, now I know I would do a lot better than Simon. I would be thrilled because I do love my Lord. I would gladly welcome him at the door. I'd kiss both cheeks. I'd pour olive oil over his head with great enthusiasm. I would be thrilled. I would hope that even I'd be willing, please, to wash his feet and then to welcome him into my home with fanfare and the people so thrilled to see him and to have him sit down at table would be, it would be a blessing beyond compare. But that's, that's when the scary part starts. What are we going to talk about? And that's what scares me. Because what an opportunity for me to be able to sort out some naughty theological questions that I've got. Uh, you know, Lord, this thousand-year thing um, in Revelation? Could, could we get the final word on that? I know I'm pretty close already, I'm sure. <laughs> I pretty much have it nailed. But just to smooth off the rough edges and to, you know, box it, wrap it, put a bow on it. I've got some pastor friends that I need sorting out about this, and I'm dying to tell them what the truth is. You do realize how ridiculous that is, don't you, brother, sister? How crazy that is. There's only one place for you or for me when the Lord comes to our home. And we know where it is. It's at the feet of Jesus. Dear sister, would you scooch over? Would one foot and ankle be satisfactory? May I have the other? I too want to worship my Lord. I want to sit at his feet and thank him for my salvation as you are. 
and to be grateful for his cross and his suffering and dying for me. The God of the universe offering up his life, the only proper response is to bow and to tell him how much we love him. Well, Jesus spoke the most beautiful words in all the world to this woman. Four words. Your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Can you imagine? Brothers and sisters, can you imagine that? If you were going to hear four words from anyone in the world today, right now, what would those four words be? Well, I can guarantee you it would have nothing to do with the Super Bowl. It would have nothing to do with the weather. It would have nothing to do with anything. You know, there's well done, good and faithful servant, but I think that's for the new heavens and the new earth. I think the most blessed words that any of us could hear would be these. From the lips of the Savior, your your sins. Forgiven. Past, present, and future. Tell me, can you think of something more wonderful than that? Uh, Over 40 years in the pastorate, the people that came to the study to ask of me something didn't come first of all for marriage difficulties or unruly children or financial problems. They said, Pastor, how can I know that I'm a Christian? I feel so unworthy. I I have habits of sin that that are not moving, breaking fast enough. I'm not even sure I'm a child of the king. Lacking in assurance. How can I know? I'll tell you. This story tells you. Do you want to know? Here's how you'll know. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Do you? Do you love the Savior? If you've come inquiring as to what it means to be a follower of Jesus this morning, here is the test. Do you love the Lord? And are you grateful for what he accomplished for you at Calvary? Do you sing his praises and worship him because of his magnificent victory, his conquering sin, death, and hell on your behalf. Because I tell you, brothers and sisters, you and I have a mountain of debt, and we cannot pay. The people in the room on that day sneered at the Lord. Who does this guy think he is? He thinks he can forgive sins. But you and I have a different kind of response. Who is this? Conquering hero, Lord of the glory, who conquers even my sin. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She put all of her hope and her confidence in Christ alone for her salvation. There was no other name given among men through whom she could be saved. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all, all unrighteousness. You can leave this sanctuary this morning a new person. This woman was gripped by the fact that Jesus had power to save even a prostitute. And he has power to save your soul. Well, let, let me warn you, you have a huge debt. So do I. We have an, an ocean full of iniquity that must be paid. And you can't pay. So that means your default location is hell. Now somebody has got to pay. Who's going to pay for you? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how we thank you for this text. And we're grateful for this story that occurred in your ministry in Galilee so many years ago. For in it we see the mercy of our gracious Savior and his ability to save sinners to the uttermost, even sinners like us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have power to save and that your mercy is greater than all of our sin. And when we consider our desperate circumstances, and our need of a Savior, Father, give us faith to put all of our hope and confidence in nothing else than Jesus, his blood, and his righteousness. We wholly lean on his name, and we're grateful that the Savior has paid for us at Calvary. And we offer you our thanks. In Jesus' name.